This is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. And we're live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook and our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you're watching on our website, don't forget to hit the Google review button and give us a, a review on our homepage there. You can also leave your comments in the comments section if you're watching us on social media. Don't forget to do that and also email us if you'd like to get in touch. Hello at propertymatters.co.uk. Property Matters is also available as a podcast that's available every Monday at 10 o'clock on the platforms that you can see over there on the side of the screen. And uh, you're welcome to pick that up. And you can also hear us on Dilsey Radio as well. So let's look at this week's property news with our expert. It's Joe Joshi. Hi, Joe. Yes, hello. Good morning. Good morning, everybody, uh, to all our viewers and our listeners, of course. Uh, I have to start with an apology. The apology is that uh, I may be having a coughing fit after losing my voice for about a week so uh, just just to be warned about the uh, the odd burst of cough but uh, on a nice sunny bank holiday we are here as always week in week out giving an update on what's going on in the property world indeed we are and um, we haven't looked at sort of stats for a while joe and you know it's one of my favorite things to do anyway so uh, let's just uh, have a look and see how the first quarter of um 2023 has gone this is the data to the end of March there's a little bit out of date but it's interesting to see because obviously doing a year-on-year comparison um, we were in heady times a year ago with uh, um, uh, situations like stamp duty holidays that kind of thing and people were still rushing for the race for space etc so we did have a phenomenal time but increases in house prices are still going on believe it or not despite everything that we talk about every week 4.1 percent in the 12 months to march 2023 meaning eleven thousand pounds has gone on the uh, typical home now the average property stands at 285,000. however on a monthly basis prices have fallen for the fourth consecutive time decreasing 1.2 percent in march 23 followed by a slight drop of 0.1% in February. The annual growth rate has slowed down from 5.8% in uh, the year to February, according to Office of National Statistics. It's also a sharp fall in annual growth compared to the recent peak in July 2022, when house prices increased 14.3% over a year ago. Experts said what happens next to property prices would be influenced by the uh, what happens to the rate of inflation, which of course has a major effect on what people pay on their mortgages. Um, yes, last week it was also announced that the CPI inflation rate fell from 10.1% of course to 8.7%, but that still doesn't seem to be enough to encourage the Bank of England not to continue to put further rate rises up. The suggestion is 4.75 next month, isn't it, Joe? So. They were heady days a year ago, 14.3% growth in a year. Now we're down to 4.1%. So we're still on the on the upward trajectory just. Yes, I mean, um, I know you love your statistics. At the end of the day, statistics actually exist on the basis of that's what people will go by, uh, especially governments and, and lenders and generally people in the marketplace. Because if things are working in the, in the right way, then, of course, they feel comfortable and confident that they want to be part of that success story. And right now, even though we had the success story in the property side of it through the pandemic, though the pandemic itself was not a particularly good success story for most people, but 
um, the, the the house prices and the prices itself and the property market itself did very well, very well. Now the problem we have now is that there's there's always going to be a little bit of a correction. People say it's it's uh, house prices are falling. I say it's a correction because when things are really really positive and people it's a, it becomes a seller's market, then of course the market is going to be running away with itself because people are getting best prices and in a particular area you might find that one house sells for a certain and the next one sells for a bit more and so forth because it's a, it's a supply and demand thing. But now what you're seeing is that the demand is slightly lower primarily because of the interest rates that have gone up and obviously inflation and other uh, factors that have actually allowed people to put a break on, on their possible move. So. Uh, it's now become what we call a buyer's market um, and that has two things that, that are, are, are a plus and a minus and the minus is of course um, <clears throat> that um, you're going to find a lot of uh, uh, buy to let people are now coming out because it's just too expensive for them to maintain that um, interest rates are so high that the income from their rental from previous tenants is probably not sufficient to cover the existing mortgage increases that they've got. So they've got to take a view that they've got to get out of that. Of course, the government isn't helping that. And the government is actually sh shooting itself in the foot by doing those things because there's going to be lesser properties available to rent for people. The other side of the coin is that it's a great opportunity for first time buyers um, because now that, that the investor market is off the scale, it really is open for the first time buyers to go in there and make their best bids and say, right, you know, here is a property. First of all, they might have a choice, which is a good thing. So even new developments are offering really good deals to first-time buyers. Um, and of course, first-time buyers are being offered some interesting new mortgage products, which are encouraging them to consider, even though the, the rates are, are higher. So yes, the house prices may have seen a dip um, in, in sort of month to month for the last three or four months. But what it hasn't seen is a dip across the board. And it really firms up my belief and something that I've always said that you can't beat putting your investment and buying uh, bricks and mortar and buying your first home. I've, uh, as part of doing this show, I'm in a number of property groups on Facebook and it's fascinating how um, vocal everybody is in those groups and um, people are showing the sort of levels they're paying for a sort of one and two bedroom places so you know anything from 700 pounds to 1500 pounds for maybe two bedroom um, flat for example um, and what's interesting in that conversation so often comes out is the fact that Many of these renters, and because rents are rising so fast because there's just no supply, you know, you've got something, I think it was something like 13 people going for each particular flat, whereas only three people looking at a place to sell that's, that's for sale. Um, and, and the thing is that actually many of these people now are in this curious situation that they could easily, more easily afford to buy on a monthly basis than they can to rent. It's cheaper, well, it's always been cheaper to buy, allegedly, but... Um, you know, most of the time. But but the point is that they can't seem to be able to get the mortgage in the first place because the 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 the, the qualification levels are so high that they don't actually pass the income test in the first place. But their their actual monthly outgoings would be less if they were able to purchase than if they're renting. Absolutely, and that's what I'm saying. It's now become a buyer's market, so the first time buyers are there. One of the things that first time buyers or any buyer should really consider at this point, especially when they're trying to 
um, reach the uh, amount or the or, or the the you know the idea of them being able to borrow, uh, cost of living and all those things account for, is that if necessary, if necessary, you know, it's not just a one person, two person, three or four people can actually pull together. Uh, I think it's certainly up to four people can pull together um, uh, their resources and get on that that ladder. So it might mean that you know you might buy a house. Uh, with three or four of you, whereas you've got a three or four bedroom house and you could almost literally have a bedroom each. And that, in its mortgage cost, would probably cost you less than what you would go and pay or rent a whole house for. So, you know, people must bear in mind that there are, you know, other ways to deal with this. Yes, of course, if you're a couple or you're, 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 your income is on your own and you can afford to do the whole thing by yourself, you're going to do it. But what I'm going to say is that talk to your mortgage brokers, take advice, get some guidance, and there is no reason why four people, up to four people, cannot be part of a mortgage application, which then covers the affordability factor. So the message I would give is, you know, whatever it takes, get on the, on the, on the ladder. As you are on it, you can always come off of those mortgages and onto your own separate things once once the equity starts to build in the property. So if you bought a house or a flat or whatever, let's say I use 100,000 as, a, as a, a benchmark for this discussion, and then that's gone up to 150,000 pounds, you know, two of you could come out of that quite easily and say, right, okay, well, the two are gonna stay and the other two are gonna go and buy their own and out of the equity increase, we can off offer them some, something towards their deposit on their own property. And actually, before buy to let came into this whole um, Sophia pool, uh, that's how people did it. You know, back in back in the days, back forty odd years ago, you didn't have buy to let uh, mortgages. So what people used to do is buy as a group, and then come off of it one by one, and and provide the deposit. But you had to be in it to win it. You had to be in the first one in order for it to actually increase in price, so that you could release it or refinance it and give some of that equity to the other person because they were actually going up in value quicker and and um, and more than you were going to save. So you were never going to save on a, a, on a 25, 30,000 pounds uh, income, whatever that income might have been X, Y, Z years ago, and then find that you found the deposit. So the only way to do it was to become part of a, a, a cluster or a group who then bought something together. Now, of course, the, the challenge with those things <coughs> it's about getting on um, and, and saying to yourself, I'm, I'm getting on with the four people. But if it's just a business deal, then it, it, everything is, is possible to do. A general reaction in the industry is the fact that people are finally crawling out from under the shell shock of the infamous uh, mini budget that came out last uh, October, I believe. <laughs> but a lot of the agents are saying that actually now, especially in the home counties, that uh, the levels of inquiries and the levels of properties up for sale are roughly corresponding to where we were in 2018, 2019. And, and in many respects, there's no point in making comparisons to 2020 and 2021 because they were extraordinary peaks because of an extraordinary situation and obviously stamp duty holidays, that kind of thing. So they're saying we're back to a more balanced market now. Certainly in London, they're saying that uh, viewings are up 17% and that they actually think London's um, prospects in 2023 will be better than everybody expected. So 
They're also saying that uh, motivated sellers are, are realising they've got to be keen to negotiate a reduction. Um, and uh, uh, but they are getting the activity and they are getting the uh, the, the offers um, as long as they're prepared to be a bit more flexible. And again, for sellers, that means you know be mindful of making a decent offer. Yes, you're absolutely right. And and the analysis that are being offered is uh, is truly to the point where uh, you know the time during the pandemic was an extraordinary time. Um, but when you come out of the city. Um, out of London, uh, a lot of the moves are for different reasons. Uh, there were, uh, you know, we had the race for space during that period. So everybody wanted to get out of London and and have the fresh air and, and and you know be away from people and have the space around them and all that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> what what you got to bear in mind is that when people are moving outside of London, they are moving for other reasons. For example, schooling. It might be that their children are now going to go to a specific school and they need to move to try and get into that area, that catchment area. Uh, jobs is, is one thing. Age is another. So if somebody might downsize. They might think, well, actually, oh, this, this is too big for me. I need to maybe move out. Family, health is a, is a huge thing, a massive thing, actually, the underlining about health and family. Though during the whole life cycle, you might say, well, actually, it doesn't really matter. My family's here, my family's there. But if you then decide, well, you are not well, or you want to be near grandchildren, or you want to do all those other things, those are the reasons that actually, so therefore the activity is a flow on general life itself. It's not about the race for space. It's not about, I've got to get onto this this particular property is, is what I call a social move. It's a, a domestic move. It could be that you know, you've gone through a separation. There's a whole bunch of reasons that makes those people. Whereas the moves that come out and happen in London, for example, are a international move. It's, 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 it's everything and everyone. It could be a job. It could be that you're st studying in London. It could be that you're tr you know, transporting, in, transporting in. It could be that you have you know, a wealthy person in another country and the security of your family is more important. So you end up buying a place in London and know that there, there is a better security than there is perhaps in some of the other countries. So there are different reasons why different people move in. However, as it grows out, you have the maximum benefit of the prices that have increased in places like London that might give you the benefit of the opportunity to buy in other, other areas. We often talk about the first-time buyers and getting onto the property ladder, but we don't often talk about the top end of the market. It's interesting what uh, one uh, industry professional was saying this week, saying that when you look at the mid to high end, sort of four or five bedroom pro family type properties, actually the prices are anchored in quite well because that's where the real lack of supply is at the moment. Yes, there's more homes coming up for sale, but they're not in that crucial family home size, let's call it, area of the market. And typically, these are attracting older cash buyers, of course, who are less uh, dependent on financing their move. Um, and where the property is a proper, decent, um, you know, up, uh, well maintained, well looked after, well developed property, there's still quite a lot of um, competition and therefore um, solidifying of prices. Yes, I mean, the competition, look. The bigger homes are, are the system in the UK is such that it's like a progression pool. So yes, you get the first-time buyers. Without the first-time buyer, that run of the ladder doesn't work all the way to the top. 
you need somebody at the bottom. So that was um, coupled and probably slightly unfortunate with the number of investors that came in. And the investors that came into that bottom end of the market was primarily because they had no other other source or no other area to invest their money in that make them feel safer. So when you've got a situation like now where the investors are not investing anymore because it's too expensive to invest, this is the window for the opportunity for the first time buyer. But the first time buyer starts to buy, then everybody moves up the up the, the ladder. <laughs> so for example, let's say that the, the process is you might start, we'll start with this, you might start with a studio for argument sake, and then you've outgrown a studio, you go into a one bedroom, you've outgrown a one bedroom, you might have got together with somebody, you're now gonna have two bedrooms, and the next step's gonna be a, a terrace or an end of terrace house, then to a semi-detached, small detached, you know, middle detached, and then of course your million pound plus mansion, and so forth. So that's the process um, that would, would, would normally go, but it doesn't exist without the first time buyer, because we need to get up onto that, that ladder. And the people at the top may have had enough equity or they're downsizing, so they are able to buy cash. And that then puts them, that market at the top a little bit wobbly because it, it opens it for two people. One is the, is the chain people, that the chains are going up, and the others are that got money themselves who don't need to go and borrow, can afford to buy. So then that market is starved a little bit at the top. Be interesting to see what happens with the market with inflation and, and I think you did say this on the program a few weeks ago you know <laughs> things go up but they never seem to come down to back where they were again and uh, now we're hearing that the energy price cap is falling um, but not very by as much as people thought prices are not coming down as much they may stay quite high for a long time rates are going to stay up at this sort of level four and a half to five percent for good two or three years it's being predicted now whereas we thought we'd get it back down government was saying um, six months ago that they were going to half inflation in a year that doesn't look like happening so uh, uh, if we continue on this way then um, how do you think that's going to affect because we're coming into the uh, popular time now the summer months <coughs> good time to sell your property good time to get things on the market I suppose really from that point of view probably to get it better to get it on now rather than wait and see what happens well, I mean, <laughs> currently this 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 year of twenty three, uh, and especially this last month, including this weekend, has been absolutely bombarded with nothing but bank holidays, um, and um, and those things are actually um, a detriment to everything else, and combined with children off. So that the process, people are not interested in in getting involved in, in property as such, but. Um, Traditionally, this is the best time to sell because obviously the gardens are looking great, the flowers are out, you know, you've got longer days, it's lighter, um, properties should look their best, though I can tell you they don't because people actually forget that it's the outside part, the front part, the appearance, the first 10 seconds of somebody turning up your house is probably more important than finding that you've got a pogan pole kitchen inside which they really going to get to if they get past the first part um and so you know the, this is the right time to sell there's no question about that um and of course the problem we have now is the continuous increase of interest rates and of course the energy prices they are not going to come down a great deal you know you have to remember and i think that we were always poised that we knew that interest rates will go up uh, at some point they were at a certain point, they were so low, they brought them to such a level, we knew that. 
But what we were not prepared for, and that's where that's where the big fall is, what we were not prepared for was all of the other add-ons that have happened. The energy prices, the gas, the electric, the rates, um, and the cost of um, shopping, for example, food shopping itself. All of those things were things that we probably didn't bargain for. And now coupled with that and interest rates, of course, that's made it really, really tough and challenging for every family, every individual and family. And we, everybody's got to watch their pennies the best they can to make sure they get through that. But the chances of those things coming down dramatically again <coughs> in the future is, is not very high. So you, you have to get used to it. And when you look back, it's a bit like somebody says, you know, the pandemic was there. You know, we, we lived through it. We saw it. And today, most people have, you know, to a large extent, apart from those that may have lost loved ones and have other, other feelings, the general consensus of pandemic has kind of like, is, is behind us. We're like, oh, yeah, but well, that was then. Now is now. Um, and, and that's exactly probably where we'll end up going with interest rates. As time goes on, you'll get used to it. And you'll get to get that and they know that the governments know that and they use that as a yardstick every time the old uh, problems still remain they're saying here in one particular instance that uh, those properties 1.5 million and above they're going under offer on average every three weeks or it's taking just three weeks to get sold but they've never seen transactions take so long um as the exchange process just gets uh, slower and slower and there's no excuse for it really because I mean we're not yes you know there are still people working from home but the truth of the matter is is that you know the, the pandemic's over there's no issues or there shouldn't be so still the old adage of conveyancing we know it's stuck in the uh, 1880s and hasn't grown up since or got any more modernized but uh, it seems to be getting worse not better doesn't it joe hey uh, it's, 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 it's you know you know me i'll get on my soapbox on that one so it's better better for me to move on to another subject it's just yeah, so, so archaic it's ridiculous <laughs> to think that a simple transaction can take so long um yeah. and you know and, and what people don't remember in that journey People lose things, you know, they lose it. I had a client, to give you an example, I had a client this week who said to me, he finally got his mortgage offer. He started his mortgage application six months ago, Paul, right? He got a mortgage mm -hmm. offer and the mortgage offer says, you take this mortgage by the 10th of June or it's gone. So he's just got it and it's valid for 10, 15 days. For 15 days, which used to be valid for, for three months minimum. Now it's valid for 15 days. So if you don't take up that mortgage, that offer that they've given you in the next 15 days, which is taking you six months to get in the first place, and you've lost potentially two or three other properties that you could have bought, um, let alone the conveyancing. We haven't even started on the conveyancing. So if you had to have that mortgage taken up in 15 days, I have no idea what the conveyancer would do at that point to get it done to that far, that speed when it's taken nearly six months on an normal transaction. So, yeah, it's very archaic and, um, and and very slow indeed and doesn't help. I think we've got a comment. Are we on, on there? Someone? This is actually um, Guy, I think, saying good morning, gents. Oh, um, okay, good morning, so Guy. So I, uh, <laughs> I think it's uh, Guy. Let's move on to our second story. Here we are. <laughs> we've talked a lot about uh, Mr Gove and his attitude towards landlords and, 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 and I can see why they're focusing on the negative side. I mean, if I, we look at this story here today, and actually this story is about, you know, when the relationship is good, both sides, landlords and tenants, are prepared to be reasonable. But then you get a story like I didn't feature in the programme today, but the headline was 
housing raid finds tenants squeezed into a squalid three-bred slum. Enforcement officers and police uh, found 11 people crammed into a mouldy, dangerous, semi-detached three-bed property. So that's the kind of thing they're focusing on. Um, and that's what they're trying to stamp out. But I think, realistically, for every one of those, there's probably 10 or 20 where the relationship is a lot more healthy and um, and so on. So in here, in this story, more than a third of all tenants could both renew their contract or would both renew their contract and accept a rent increase as long as they had a positive relationship. This is new U-switch um, research. However, according to the same survey, 50% of tenants would renew as a result of a positive landlord relationship, but wouldn't also accept a rent increase. I suppose that's inevitable they'd say that. Only one in 10 said they would e neither renew their contract nor accept an increase in rent. Research found that the 18 to 24 age group had the lowest percentage of tenants willing to base both of their rental decisions on landlord-tenant relationships at just over a quarter at 26%. However, this age group gave the second highest vote the uh, for the to the option of renewing without an increase only narrowly behind the peers of 25 34 who gave 54 percent of their vote on this option so this is it here so you can see here the 1824s 13 percent would not renew and would not increase uh, would not accept an increase 53 said that yes they would renew without an increase eight percent would not renew but they would also agree an increase so presumably if they went somewhere else for more money and then uh, 26 <coughs> percent yes yes they would increase uh, and yes, they would renew. And you look down at the 55-year-olds, you can see that that figure, yes, we'd renew with a good relationship, yes, we'd increase with 44%. So I suppose that comes with an element of maturity, doesn't it, Joe? Because, you know, the, the older generation said, well, do you know what? Actually, I cherish the relationship I have with my landlord because it could be a lot worse somewhere else. I think uh, all of those age groups are is a good analysis to, to offer, uh, therefore, and um, it's going to break them down. So the 18 to 24 are more volatile and moving. They are they are moving people. They're moving targets. They are here today and they're probably going to go to another city or another job or another circumstance. So they are, you know, they, they, they're not sort of a longevity people. They will they will move so subsequently that they won't. Uh, increase or renew because the, there may be a, a job change and they might be going somewhere else or they might have uh, partnered up with somebody so there's a lot more fluidity there and as you go up the ranks there and, and people look at the people people like the sort of the 45 50 uh, 54 and plus are are more stable they, they've come to a point of life where they you know don't particularly want change a great deal they want to be moving every, every six months and, and so forth and their relationship normally with the landlords are, are long and and um, uh, perhaps a bit more conversational than there are with the younger one the other thing with the younger ones is of course it might be that they don't want to to move but they have to move because they may have um you know not caught on with their neighbors or they they've got you know boy racer cars, all sorts of other things that come into these these sort of decisions will will determine whether the longevity of it, it happens. But the interesting thing is that, of course, uh, the rental prices are uh, colossal now. Um, and, um, and so, therefore, uh, the only ones that can perhaps sustain that are the sort of the 50 pluses, either from uh, sale or equity of properties that they may have sold or income that they've got or sufficient pension um, plans etc that give them um, more income more uh, disposable income to be able to continue to you know pay the rents or the higher rents 
This is the element of the story that I really wanted to get to. It's just interesting to see that generational difference, Joe. But these are the um, the values that people hold um, important in that landlord and tenant relationship. It's quite interesting. So for both tenants and landlords, um, communication between the two for both sides was the most important thing. 71% for tenants, so that suggests that they are craving more contact with their landlord, better contact with their landlord. 51%, still more than half, said, yes, I want to be able to communicate with the tenant. And honesty then comes second, and that's a bigger one even for the tenants than it is for the landlords, which suggests that the tenants feel that they're more aggrieved in the relationship than the landlords are. Upkeep of the property, really important for the tenants, more important, interestingly, from, than from the landlord's point of view, which is surprising from my perspective. And abiding to the terms and conditions of the contract, so, again, interestingly, more important for the tenants than the landlords. I would have thought that would have been the other way around. And being aware of your responsibilities, uh, tenants 51% and landlords 41%. But, I mean, that's an interesting set of priorities, five priorities there for a good rental arrangement. Anything that, any comment on that, Joe, or anything you might add to that list of five? <laughs> I would say that communication is definitely the, the right one to be at the top. There's no question about that. Because everything about any tenancy and landlord uh, is, is about communication. The reason communications tend to break down is probably of, because of the number two, and that's the honesty. And whether that's the honesty on part of the landlord or the honesty on may have come into a property giving certain reasons of what they are, and they actually end up being something completely different. And that then causes a, a problem for the landlord, and that's where communication tends to to break down so those two at the top the the the, the rest of them are, are important but i think if you have communication and some sort of integrity honesty uh within that relationship then that's more than 50 percent of the reason why you're going to get on it also means the continuation of uh, of uh, the rent money is coming in on time uh, providing the landlord is delivering the things that they are supposed to deliver especially um, if they made a promise and doing certain things to the property or they need to be updated and, and kept. On the other hand, Paul, I have to say that it is so infuriating that sometimes the tenants um, can become picky for the most feeble, ridiculously silly little things that then annoys the landlord. For example, somebody will turn around and say, well, actually, there's three bulbs that are not working in the house. We'll go to the supermarket and buy three bulbs. But, you know, they will continue to moan about the fact that the landlord hasn't come over and changed the three bulbs. Well, I always find, and, and that's a, a really extreme example, but I'm using that as an example, that sometimes there is trivial and there's silly little things like that that then become big things just because it's now become a, a communication issue. The landlord saying, I haven't physically got time. I've got to get someone over there, drive someone there, go to the supermarket, buy. You go to the supermarket every week to your shop, buy three bulbs and put them in. You know, so it's just that sometimes those relationships can be wrong for the wrong reasons. Interesting uh, comment from Guy here. Guy saying um, uh, younger tenants under 24 are more likely to move for their careers and lifestyle changes. Uh, there are less tenants now who realistically aspire to moving to home ownership. So we're seeing more long-term tenancies. I suppose that is true. Under 24s um, are going to be moving around. They're going to be much more mobile than they uh, than, than than you know over 55s, for example. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's what I, I tend to agree with Guy. I, I, I said the same thing that at that age, there is so much fluidity going on that you know, it might be a job, it might be, you know, relationship, it might be whatever those scenarios would, would happen. They, there's going to be more uh, movement happening and people may take a 12 month uh, contract and be gone in six months because all of a sudden they've managed to get themselves a job in some other part of the country or, or a, another country as well. Um, and, and likewise, coming in, you'll find that people come into the country, uh, take a rental and find that their circumstances have changed and they're going to be packing their bags and off they go again in six months time. So yeah, that, that bottom tier will always be far more fluid than perhaps the, the top tier would be. Interesting story. I thought we'd just touch on that and just look at those five priorities, but uh, always saving the uh, the best till last, of course. Here's the uh, the reveal for the week, and that is where's the hottest places to buy property right now? So uh, well, let's have a look at this one, shall we? Uh, the UK property market has witnessed 250 billion worth of property sales over the past year. So 250 billions worth of sales, despite things going the wrong way. With the richest local market playing being north of Scottish border, according to an analysis by Nested. The study examined the total volume of combined value of property sales in the UK in the last 12 months, shedding light on how the market has responded to recent economic uncertainties and revealing the country's wealthiest local markets. Within the past year, a total of, get this, 869,560 homes were sold. So nearly 900,000 homes were sold, amounting to a combined value of 2.49 billion. So that's uh, 2.49.7, so that's nearly 250 billion. These figures represent a decline of 23.5% in sales volume compared to the previous year, resulting in a cumulative value drop of 16.3%. This decline occurred despite a 9.5% increase in house prices during the same period. Edinburgh emerged as the most valuable local property market over the last 12 months, with 11,295 completed sales, amounting to 3.7 billion, followed closely by Buckinghamshire, where sales reached 3.4 billion, and Wandsworth in southwest London, total of 3 billion worth of sales. But it's interesting, isn't it? But they will top the market because those are expensive places to buy in the first place. Yes, I mean, Buckinghamshire and, of course, Edinburgh uh, and Wandsworth being in, in London are all, um, you know, expensive uh, areas that people are going to be buying and moving to. Um, Stockbroker belt just outside um, London, so schooling is important, communication uh, is, is important. Um, so those are always going to be relatively good hot spots uh, in and around the, the biggest cities. And then, of course, you'll always find other hotspots where people are perhaps retiring to and moving towards the coast and some of the coastal ones will become an area that you know where where there's a lot of transaction but in spite of what's happening in the marketplace it's amazing to see the amount of number of uh, transactions and the value the the actual value of properties that has taken um, uh, and sales have happened on is, is, is quite quite surprising considering where everybody says the market is. Other notable regions that you could invest in? Um, Kensington and Chelsea, no surprise there. Cornwall, of course. Um, uh, Somerset, okay. Belfast, interestingly. Uh, Wiltshire. But the one that uh, really caught my eye was Yorkshire. 2.5 billions worth of sales. People looking to move to Yorkshire. Yeah, Yorkshire is very, very popular, actually, itself. Um, and the area is, is, is a, an area of um, culture and interest. And 
there's a lot of people that tend to shift up to Yorkshire, but you know, in a way, it's a bit of a, a London. We like to think that places like Birmingham, Manchester, and Leeds and those type of areas, Liverpool might be uh, more cosmopolitan and, and a lot more uh, chimney pots, but people tend to move towards places like Yorkshire uh, for the country life, for the for the other aspects of it. Um, and so Yorkshire is, is, a, is a very, very popular um, northern um, city for where people want to move to. But it just goes to show even with the current uh, property uh, market the way it is, the hotspots are still there and the people are still moving and want to move to those particular locations, looking at the, your statistics that you're, you're putting out today, Paul. On the other side of things, uh, places uh, where they're not getting so much growth is Merthyr Tydfil and Blynau Gwent in Wales. They're identified as the least valuable areas in the UK. I suppose you could look at that the other way, Joe, and say, well, that's where I'm going to find the biggest bargains. And if I'm an investor, maybe I should go and look there. Just 1.9 uh, million, 109 million and 122 millions worth of sales, prospectively, for each of those. Um, so, I mean, would you would you say? But you've always said, haven't you, Joe, that if you don't live near there, then you shouldn't buy something just because it's a cheap area and then live two hundred miles from it. As an investor, <coughs> yes, uh, I've always said that uh, uh, you should take a, a time uh, span. My my time span suggestion is forty five minutes. I'm sure someone like Guy will either endorse or help me cover that. And the reason I say that is that. Um, if you buy something that is within 45 minutes of reach, you can do your uh, day in the, the, the transaction can happen in half a day. So, for example, let's say it was a leaky tap and you had to go out and get it fixed and it had to be done at, um, you know, within 45 minutes, you could probably get there, get your plumber or whatever, get back and you can get back in half a day. Once it's an hour, it's a whole day. And now that 15 minutes may, you know, sound really silly, but those that those parents that do school runs in the morning will know that if they hit the road at a certain time, the chances are they'll sail straight through the, to the front of the gate of the school. And about five minutes later, you're just going to sit in traffic and get there later than that is. It's because everybody does the same thing in a certain, a certain way. So I've always suggested that those that are investing, looking to buy, in, um, in further areas must take time into consideration. We know that, we know that for a fact, and the reason we know that is that I've had is recent instructions where people have had owned properties four or five hours away, and they've not been there. They've never mm. been there. Because to them, it's like, what am I gonna do? I've got to drive all the way up there, look at it, and drive all the way back. So they just don't go there. But the idea of buying something at, you know, 150,000 pounds or whatever they might buy there actually becomes, is good at the time, but becomes expensive because you've got to put a value on your time. Time is money. And so if you've gone all the way there and find that, you know, uh, I mean, I had a, a story I can tell you of a, of a guy who bought a property uh, with with tenants, it was a commercial property, and all he did is look at the legal pack, did all the leases, etc., etc. Thought he'd bought himself a bargain, good return of investment, and found that he wasn't getting the income. And then six months later, after he'd bought, he thought, "I'd better go up there and find out what's going on." And of course, the, what he found was that there was nobody ever there at all, and the, the shutters were down, and it was all ripped out, and there, there was nobody there at all. But somehow, someone had created all the documents 
make it happen. So, you know, I would always say if you're going to go and buy mm. anything further than 45 minutes, make sure you, you've allowed for that in your whole calculation of, of time. So just to come back to the previous story, um, Guy says, I was taught back in 1980, Mr. Agent, my Hoover is not working. <laughs> means the bag is full. Please come round and replace it. <laughs> I rest my case. Thank you, Guy. That's exactly the point I was trying to make for the bulbs. But yes, that is, it's, it really is silly. And, uh, and that is where the communication breaks down. Yeah, he also says he doesn't agree with your last comment. He says, because I've got property in the UK and I'm 6,000 miles away. <laughs> yes. Nice one, Guy. Thank you. <laughs> and on that bombshell, I think we should leave it there this week, Joe. Uh, we are fast out of time. Um, our time just goes so quickly on uh, a Sunday. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you to Guy for his contributions as well. Lovely to uh, speak to you all live. And I hope you enjoyed today's show and uh, got something from it. That's why we're here. And we'll be here again this time next week. Mm -hmm.